And welcome in. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. The Magic, uh, fresh off a five-game road trip out west. Two games up, three games down on that trip. Tough loss on, what was it? It would have been Sunday night against the Denver Nuggets. Now a couple days off. It'll be the New Orleans Pelicans on Friday this week at Amway Center. And then up to see the Washington Wizards on Saturday. Today is a lockout day, and I love the phrase lockout day. Uh, because I get locked out as well, so it gives me a chance to uh, to record a podcast episode. And to join me for this one is Kobe Price, doing an outstanding job. Year two, it probably feels like you're 22 for him on the beat cover in the Magic for the Orlando Sentinel. He's on Twitter, uh, at Kobe underscore Price, that's K-H-O-B-I. Kobe, what up, man? How are you? It's good to catch up with you. It's good to catch up with you too, but let me clarify. When you mean lockout, like if you like took, I don't know how you how you access the buildings, but like you have like a key card or something, you have the pin code, like you enter it in and just like eh, eh, just just nothing. See, I get into this, I get into the training facility the same way you do. I buzz the button and oh, the okay. person at the front, the front oh. desk lets me in. I have a little bit more access, but all those doors, it, it's the same way. It's like, hi, oh, I'm God. Jake. Uh, I'm here. It is a good question, though. I'm not sure if I would be entirely locked out. I could probably sweep talk my way in, but uh, why would I want to? There's not much going on at the training facility today, anyways. And a, and a lockout day, well deserved. But it is. It's it, it it's kind of a far cry. I'm going to sound like a crusty old man. Like I don't. I'm not sure there were lockout days back when I was an intern and back when I was uh, uh, cutting my teeth in this business because it, it, it's it's just a little bit different. Um, not to say it's any worse, but I do think I I think we handle uh we handle rest and we handle days off a little bit different than we used to with all that said the magic kind of catching a break as far as the schedule goes and like this is a very welcome few days off and 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 i think a well-deserved lockout day coming off that five-game road trip um let's just start there Cole. like on the floor what did you see on the road trip that you liked maybe that you think um needs to gain a a little bit more stability and and i guess how how can the team feel about that five-game that five game stint out West. Yeah. I mean, you probably feel, I think I wrote about this. They probably feel at least a lot of guys probably feel that they could have went four and one, just the way that mm. some of those games played out. You, you feel like, I mean, like, Jokic makes that shot. If he misses, that goes either way. Like it's just, he, he made the shot that is on sports center and just a highlight, just like, what am I supposed to do about that? France contested it extra. Well, doesn't matter. Three point, uh, three point win. It's over. And even the loss against uh, the Jazz. I mean, they they were in that game very much until the end. Bamba hit that hook shot to put them up one. And then from there, you know, the Jazz just took control. So they probably feel like they got a couple good wins, especially against Portland, uh, coming out of a a healthy Portland team uh, at that. Uh, But they probably feel like they left a little meat on the bone, especially with some of the way those losses went, you know, not playing consistently from start to finish especially against the Nuggets and even against the Jazz. Uh, that That's probably how I imagine they would feel, even without speaking to the guys. Like, two and three is nice. You know, that's kind of maybe what, what was expected or the minimum. Right. You look If you look at the schedule before the season started and you said this, you're going to go two and three on this road trip, you probably felt like, all right, that's it's not bad. Like, that's expected, especially for where the, how the team is growing. But you, after you go through the games, you're just kind of like, dang, we could have definitely gone three and two, maybe even four and one. But they also could have gone one and four, because uh, that Portland game kind of got a little rocky at the end. So, and that's the that's the funny part is if you looked at it before the season started, you would have said, okay, no way you beat Golden State at the Chase Center, right? Okay, yeah. maybe we'll get Sacramento because or Utah, you know, and and just sort of those teams have had Denver, I guess, is who we thought they were. 
Um, but to go in and get that Golden State win, you start off on on a great note. You obviously want to throw away the Sacramento game, but you know that's a really good offensive team, and and I'm not sure um, you would have anticipated that before the season. So I think you come out of it and you say, at least you played well in that Denver game. You had a chance. It was it took the MVP knocking down that shot. But you're right. Like there's a few a few offensive rebounds, a few turnovers here and there, and you are looking at a different picture overall. I was thinking about this. You know, this is we're like three weeks from the trade deadline. It's a very sort of precarious time of the year, especially for a young team. Um, and and this team's got a few veterans who I'm sure teams are going to be calling about. I think maybe the timing was almost perfect to get out of town, get out on the road. And it's just sort of us against the world mentality. It's probably a pretty good way to block some of that stuff out when, you know, it, you're finishing up in Sacramento and it's on to Portland or whatever. Um the mentality of this group right now, where do you think it is? Yeah, it's kind of like what you're saying. Just let's focus on us. Let's focus on blocking out the noise because obviously it really is really going to start picking up. I actually thought about that because I think they're going to be in Orlando, excuse me, during the trade deadline. Right. Because uh, they have a, a four-game road trip, two in Philly, one in Minnesota, one in Charlotte that ends on the fifth. Well done. I have no idea. I go two games at a time at this time of the year, buddy. Well, so I just you, know because I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you. <laughs> I just know because I'm traveling for the Philly and the Charlotte game. So it's also like my personal like itinerary in my head. Uh, or uh, the Philly and Minnesota game, rather. I'm not doing the Charlotte game. So like when they come back from Orlando, they're going to be here for a few days like during the trade deadline. Then they go at it like immediately after the deadline. I think they play a game and then they go out of town for like a couple road games so i'm actually interested to see how that's handled because last season they were on a road trip i think it was like this road trip they were on this road trip last february in the trade deadline like they had this few days off and then they played a game like the day after the trade deadline something like that right Uh, you can tell I'm like, I've only been on the beat for a year because I'm going to remember this so so easily. <laughs> oh, it's dude, it's going to get worse. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. It's when they start, worse. when they start all matching together, that's when, yeah. like, I, but then there's always these weird moments. Like I was in Detroit when they traded for Reggie Jackson and it was mm. that trade deadline where like eight minutes before the deadline, every point guard in the league got traded. Oh, and, that was right. You remember that? Yeah. But, there, but you look back on it now and it was all these point guards who like, you know, I, who, who don't necessarily register it was like oh my god ramon sessions got traded or something like that you know but like it is there it, at, at some point kobe like they'll all just kind of they'll all just sort of flow together for you so don't worry about it right yeah and i think to to answer the point get back to the point just i think a lot of them they just they were able to focus on them us they were able to just like get a better continuity with one another this stretch from the grizzlies game right before the road trip to now you know grizzlies when when Jalen Sucks came back, like this is the healthiest stretch that they've had as a team. What that six game stretch uh, after guys came back from suspensions, Jalen comes back. You know, Wendell and Gary came back late December. Like honestly, that's the biggest thing. Just like what team do we have? Uh, I tweeted out the stat of that starting lineup of Markel, Gary, Franz, following Wendell is better lineups in the league of lineups I've played. I think like like something like at least hundred minutes or at least seventy five minutes. Like just building that kind of base, that's what this stretch is supposed to be about. Just understanding what do we have when we have at least reasonable health. Obviously, you're still missing Shuma. You're still missing J.I. Uh, Kevon and RJR were with the G League for, you know, development reasons to get, to get more playing time. But like, what do we have when we have reasonable health? And I think that's what the stretch has been about. What do you think the return of J.I. looks like? Like rotation wise? Um 
where where we don't need to to handicap when he's coming back but i i would think we all have an idea of what his what his minutes will look like when he comes back and how they'll try to ease him in um but what do you, can he help this team right away like where do you think he slots in yeah i'm i'm curious about how most plays of that cuz i could see him I mean, Mo Wagner, he seems to be having the backup center minutes behind Wendell. I think he's he's taking that spot over Mo Bamba. Uh, He averages, what, like 15, 17 minutes? I don't – I think maybe you see J.I. cut a little bit into the the backup five minutes. I think even he mentioned that when he was doing the scrimmages, he was, like, mainly playing the five uh, in whatever laps he was in. So I think that's kind of his role, just playing a few, you know – backup center minutes here and there. I'm curious to see if he actually plays a little bit more like four too. Like how much he plays alongside Wendell, how much he plays alongside Mo Wagner. What that's, do you think that – do you think that is contingent on basically how well he moves his feet on the perimeter coming back or how – like what kind of mobility he has like right off the rip? Yeah, probably. I mean, maybe mobility, maybe just how well his body holds up, like how much he's able to, you know, something that I'm you when you watch him in the G League, he is banging with guys. Pretty, right. He's embracing the physicality. And that's encouraging to see because then you feel like in, in the G League, he's mainly been playing the five, which obviously is different in like G League five, NBA five. But he's that's he's still doing the playing the position, understanding. So I think that's where he's going to slide in. Maybe he plays a little bit for just to see what that just to see what that looks like playing alongside like Wendell or see what right. it looks like if he plays alongside Mo Wagner. Even or Mo Wagner, yeah. Yeah, just seeing like what that looks like. Uh, or maybe like in certain situations like J.I.'s the five defensively and Mo Wagner's the five offensively. Just something like that. Uh, honestly, the position almost doesn't matter. You just more so want the look of how these guys look alongside each other. So Right, but but in his, but if J.I. comes back and he is profiling more as a five, then yeah, like I think there's – you know, you might be you might be setting yourself up for disaster with him and Mo playing a lot of minutes on the floor together. Obviously, you're going to be doing some experimenting if he does come back and look somewhat like he used to, which, you know, we have no idea what that's going to be like. The idea of like Bull, Mo and J.I. is kind of like your backup front line. Right. (laughs) That's appealing. That is very, very appealing. And you can I mean, I just think Bull's role probably coming off the bench and the idea of just like letting him go is very, very appealing. Um, He kind of has to 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 structure himself when he's out there with Paulo and Franz and rightfully so. But the dude like I just want to like unclip his wings and just let him fly like with the second unit. And I think if if you've got players like J.I. and Mo next to him, uh, either both of them or or one or the other, then I think that's like that's pretty appealing. I think that's a, a, a nice role for Bull. So I think it does. I think the whole, you know, it's kind of like the whole ecosystem. You got to figure out exactly when J.I. is ready to go, how he slots in, who he's going to be playing with. Um, but I think we're kind of on the same page. Like he's not going to come back and, and take over a role in the starting lineup. He's not going to come back and probably play any more than 20 minutes a game at all like it's going to take a while before he's able to to ramp up above 18 minutes a night i would think yeah i, I think they're i mean you, you we kind of saw how they did with markel when he yeah. came back from his and obviously markel was not out for nearly the length of time that j.i was uh or j.i has been uh so i think they're going to slow play it you know obviously they're going to be restrictions playing time restrictions not playing on back-to-back restrictions and I mean, I'm just honestly, I'm playing like the rotation that they have right now in my head. Like Jalen is the first 
uh, sub off the bench and he comes in for Franz and then Bowl comes in like to start the second quarter and he plays a lot of second quarter. I'm just trying to think like where would J.I. fit? Like someone's going to either lose minutes or have their minutes cut or maybe just have them replaced. And I would lean like him getting more of those backup five minutes, like maybe taking a little bit more more, more Bogner's minutes uh, just based off the flow of the game and maybe just trying to get like the look of J.I. and Bowl together or J.I. like have... Like, think right now what they do is Cole like to start the second quarter it's like Cole Terrence Franz Cole Terrence Franz Mo Wagner I'm forgetting somebody right now oh and Bull right yeah Cole Terrence Franz Bull and Mo Wagner maybe you try to do Cole Terrence Franz, Bull, and J.I. Right. Is that like to to steal that, like the start of second quarter and J.I. gets a little burned, and then you bring maybe Mo Wagner back in to before Wendell comes in. And, and, and let me throw this a little. Well, and the other part is, you know, the, the next three weeks, like there might be a hole there. Like, right. you, you know, yeah. that rotation might change. I guess we don't need to get into who and what. There, there are rumors this morning um, from Shams that I would I would recommend everybody check out. But how active, let me ask you that, do you think the Magic will be? Like, what? how busy do you think you'll be in the next few weeks writing up rumors and uh, and with your ear to the grindstone? Like, it's, it's an interesting place to be because you don't really need to do anything, but you also are starting to accumulate a whole bunch of assets and flexibility where the right deal might really sort of expedite that jump. Yeah, I don't... I don't anticipate – I think I think I may be a little bit more active than last year. Like, obviously, last year people thought, like, it was a shoe in that Terrence Russell going to be traded or Gary's going to be traded, like, all these guys. And the, the, they made one trade. It was, out, it was to get Bull Bull. Uh, and then they cut a couple of guys. But I think it'll be a little bit more active. Now, whether that turns into actual deals remains to be seen. But I think there'll be a little bit more activity just because, obviously, Terrence is on the last year of his deal – you know, you're starting to see like RJ, RJ Hampton situation, obviously what it is in terms of, you know, he's been out of the rotation, not or at least not consistently been in the rotation uh, for most of the season or for a good chunk of the season, I should say. Uh, you know, there there are obvious guys, like you said, we don't have to name, there are obvious guys who are just like, especially for maybe veteran teams or even guys who the Magic aren't playing as much, you can just pinpoint, but like, all right, those are guys that other teams could target, um, especially like RJ still young, you know, Mo Bamba still young. Uh, so they may the other teams may find that appealing, um, but like it's really about like the the quote unquote like I don't feel like the Magic are like quick to get like eager to like trade guys. I don't think that's right. their, like you said they could honestly stand pat and just feel good about where they're going to be at in the last however many games after the trade deadline, whatever uh, 25, 27 games, however many games it is. So. I can see it being active just from teams trying to reach out, teams trying to get like to get a feel for like what the Magic are willing to do. But from a Magic standpoint, I don't see them active in terms of like we're making a lot of outgoing calls. I don't think it's going to be like that kind of deadline for them. Yeah, and the tr- the tricky part is, you know, I think I don't think we're I don't think we're not a free agent destination, but I also think the likelihood of a free agent acquisition coming in and changing everything is, you know, this is the idea of this whole thing was to be, to build it sustainably. And so I think if you're going to make a trade for a player, it's going to be somebody with a whole bunch of upsides still. And 
you've got a couple veterans and then you've got a couple players like you mentioned who other teams are going to be convinced still have some upside. Um, the veterans are going to be guys who other teams are convinced come in and help you right away and, and, and sort of put you over the top championship contending teams. So like you, you've got, you're not in a situation where you need to do anything, but it also feels like, you know, now you have more clarity about what the future is going to look like. Like, you know, this is going to be Paolo and Franz's team. You know, Wendell is going to be a part of it. Um, you, you've got a sense, I think, of, of your identity. And so it probably makes it easier to synthesize those phone calls and to make decisions like, OK, that we're not even thinking about that. I would think Jeff Weltman, John Hammond have a better idea this year as opposed to last for numerous reasons of exactly what they want. And so I think that's probably a good way to approach it. Like you can just say, you know what, like this is the level player we want. These are the four or five guys that we're focused on. And if we don't get them, then so be it. We'll just sort of roll it over. Um, I think it's a good place to be. And I want to ask you a few, uh, a few more questions just about the young group. And then I want to get into you in year two and, and your personal experience. And I think one of the questions that I want to ask is, is kind of both Jamal Mosley as a, as, as a guy that you're covering for your first two years on the NBA beat. And then also as a guy who is at the middle of a rebuild with a bunch of young players around him, I think, I think there's like parallels there. Like he is, he's, he's pulling along these young players and he's teaching them out. And I can't imagine a better subject for you to build a personal relationship with because he's got this like undying optimism. Like he's always a good quote. He's always, um, I, I think you've done a great job building your, your relationship based on what I've seen with him. But I, I feel like he's a good guy to have at the middle of a rebuild. And he's a good guy to have if you're young and on the beat and covering an NBA team for the first time, just because of his personality. Yeah, I know Moses. Moses is great. He is and something that I think he even I think honestly, the way he goes about things, that's something he reminds me of is like coaches are teachers at their, mm. like, like at their core in a way, or at least good coaches are good teachers. Um, when you think about it, um, and that's something just like even for me, just like learning, maybe like learning about the game or like learning about methods, the way he's like trying to communicate to guys. Like I'm learning just watching him, or I'm learning like listening to him or talking with him, and that at least for me has been great. You know, being young on the beat first couple of years, that's been great for me uh, personally. And you can tell like him as a coach in the rebuild, like the way he connects with his like his players. It's almost like the way he can is like he just he does that with almost everybody. Right. Uh, he's just a very like a people person. He, he's a good connector. And that's when people ask me, like, what's he like? I say he's a good connector. That's something that's like for his role and his position, that's immensely valuable because he has to connect with a bunch of different guys and have to like bring them all to the same vision, collective vision, and the ability to communicate and the ability to reach guys. That's important. He's able to do that very strongly. Take out the tactician part of it. Take the ta take out the X's and O's. Take out all that stuff. Like at the, you need to be able to do that to communicate a message, and he does that very well. Um, he's warm. He's yeah. His every interaction you have with him, you come away with a smile on your face. And it's funny though because like it, there's different ways to do that, right? Like I asked him about Pop when the Spurs were in. And that was the answer that he gave about Pop, about what he respects about Pop so much is is how Pop has gained the respect and, and been able to build personal relationships with players going back almost 30 years now and how every one of them to a man thinks that Greg Popovich cares about them, like is convinced that Greg Popovich genuinely cares about 
you know, Jeremy Sohan, the person, not just Jeremy Sohan, the player. And I think Coach Mosley, in a different way, like I'm sure Pop's a lot more gruff than, than Moses, <laughs> but in a different way, I think he he fosters that. And I think that's so important. You know, 100%. So that quote, actually, I'm sure, you know, however many years down the line, when you're someone asked about Mose, like they'll give a similar quote just right. because like that's something that, and you've been taught, you notice it. Honestly, for me, I notice it, especially at home games when he's talking to other players on other teams. Not like, and I said this on another pod, not tampering, but just like he'll be like joking with other players or talking with other players or like even other coaches, like the relationship he's de- the relationships he develops, you can tell they're not just like, I'm your coach, you're a player. Let's like, they are like more human-based, more just like, I know you as a person, you know me as a person. And yes, I'm your coach. So, and obviously there's a relationship there, but I care about you as a person. I'm here to invest and develop you as a person as well, not just as a basketball player. And that's something he obviously preaches about with his, like with, with the magic, but you can tell it extended to be before he even took the head coaching job, which I think helped make him, you know, the right guy for this job. It's funny because sometimes, because you have good access to sitting down there so you can you can hear some of those exchanges. But it, I, I remember just going back, like sometimes, and, and most is a good example, sometimes there's, you can draw the the immediate parallels. Oh, yeah, he was in, you know, he played in Dallas three years ago. And so most was his assistant. Sometimes you have no idea, right? Like sometimes yeah. the relationships are just sort of come out of nowhere. It's like, how does he know? Well, it's, it's, it's a very small NBA family and everybody knows yeah. everybody. Um, but, but yeah, sometimes you're just like, I, where did they build that relationship? Yeah, like when he was, I think one time, maybe it was in da- when Dallas was here. In, uh, was it when Dallas was here? I think he was talking with Tim Hardaway Jr. I was like, all right, that makes sense. And then, but then there was another game. I forget what team it was on. And it was a guard. Uh, it was a guard. Cause I think he it was, it, they were shorter than most. It was, I think it was like a guard. And he was just talking to them. I was like, I, I had to like look up the players to like look up how they played. They weren't in the league that long. They may have been in the league maybe like, four to six years, like give an estimate. Like you didn't, like most has only been in the last six years in Dallas and Magic. Like you haven't been either. Like, how do you have this rapport? And I think one time it was like a, a two-year player. I'm like, what? That makes sense. Like you've been here. Sometimes it goes, sometimes it goes back to, he worked me out when I came in for pre-draft workouts, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Like, um, um, I was watching, I, I watched a few pre-draft workouts and Brett Bromeyer. He's, if you ever get a chance to talk to him, that guy is interesting as heck. But he was uh, the one doing one of the workouts I was watching, and he was out there. I mean, it was a workout. Like, he was out there grinding with the guy, and he was running everything. And I'm sitting there going, you know, and then most comes in and does his thing, and and he's sort of overseeing everything. But I'm sitting there going, like, Brett Bromeyer is going to come out of this with a with a one to one relationship with this kid because it, I mean they just had it was it was it was a two hour job interview and Brett was the one sort of orchestrating everything it was just kind of the way they divided the labor that day um, but yeah like assistants I mean they build these relationships and they, sometimes it happens you know in the islands in the off season they have a few margaritas together and now they're buddies you know like it's just such a small world that you never know where those relationships are born out of. Yeah, my man Brett. Uh, I told him he's. I, I'm not surprised that he did that. That you saw him. I told him he needs to take it easy because you know he was walking around with that cast on his thumb for a while. And I told him, "Hey, man," and he he said it's part of the job. And then I feel like it was like maybe like Jesse or it was another assistant coach. He's like, "I don't know that part of the job." <laughs> he's like, "You're broken thumb after." And this is during the season. Like you have a broken thumb after playing, working out, guys, or going one on one with guys. And there's like we don't know that part. That part of the job we don't. Know what you're doing? <laughs> 
<laughs> he brings it, man. You got and you got to me. You got to have all those different personalities on a staff. Yeah. Like I love the I love the idea of okay, that's the spark plug, and then this guy over here is the organized guy. You know, like, yeah. like building a cabinet. It's like Abraham Lincoln building his cabinet. Yeah, um, you, have, you have has like a kitchen. You have to have all different kinds of just, all the different utensils. Hey, analytics is a tool, just like Brett Bromeyer. Uh, <laughs> I guess I, I don't want to phrase it that way. Never mind. Oh my god, um, I might have to edit that part out. Um, I won't. I want to ask you about covering Paolo Bancaro and covering young players with potential superstar qualities. Like at some point, your objectivity can sort of leave you i think and you just sit there and say you know what if this dude's a superstar it's gonna be fun and like i just like <laughs> like it, it, there's gotta be an element of like personally rooting just for paulo to be to live up to the expectations of being the number one pick because for you it makes more compelling stories to tell frankly it makes more mo- it makes more of a spotlight and it could make you more money in your professional career how have you sort of dealt with trying to be because uh, you do a great job you, you I'm not saying that you're not an objective journalist, but I'm sure deep down in that heart of yours, you're like, boy, it'll be fun if Paulo is a superstar and is an all-star next year and the Magic are playing on Christmas Day and maybe we're like the Pistons and we get to take a trip to Paris next year uh, or something along those lines. Like all that stuff comes if Paulo delivers. Like how have you sort of dealt with that? Yeah, it's something that I get reminded of maybe like having like outside conversations. Like day to day, I don't think about it so much because I'm so – I'm so caught up in like other like other stuff but when like I have maybe conversations uh with people like not around the team they're just like what are the magic going to be like in like x amount of years like what if I'm like yeah that actually would like change the trajectory of like how my job looks or like uh, in a, like in these detailed ways I'm like thinking yeah that would be cool it would be cool to like cover a team that's a perennial playoff contender or even like has one of the top x players in the league or has these things I'd be like that actually would be cool that would be a cool thing to cover be around, uh, document, chronicle, and all these things. So it's not – there is an objective, objectivity in terms of, like, day-to-day. I'm not thinking about it. I'm honestly thinking, like, all right, what am I going to write today? What, like, what what stat is this? Like, what line is doing this? What that is? Like, I'm so consumed by that, probably in a admittedly unhealthy way. No. <laughs> the good answer. But but I do think, like, when those conversations are happening, I do think about just, like, what would that I – I think, like, what would that look like? And I, then I look at, like, what other people in my position are doing, like, guys who are covering the Celtics right now, guys who are covering um, the Bucks right now, uh, people who are covering uh, the Grizzlies, X, Y, and Z. Like, the people who have been covering the Warriors who feel like they've had something to do with their success. Did I just say that? <laughs> yeah, you said that. <laughs> Not I. That was all Jake. That Chapman was right all there. me. Just only a handful. Only a handful. Yeah. No, it is funny. It was like, okay, like I get it. And the Lakers have always been sort of like this, like like you're covering the team. You're not yeah. playing point guard for the team. But there is there can be an air of superiority when night in and night out you walk in and the guys that you're covering are 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 rock stars i shouldn't say there can be an air superiority but you just get used to it right like you're covering the lakers and then every night you show up and taylor swift sitting courtside or somebody like that and then when you're covering steph it's like okay tonight we're going to set the nba record for attendance in san antonio and then we're going to move on and it's going to be another rock star um uh greeting wherever it is we're next it changes the job and i i don't have to to lie like i am a strategic communicator I get paid when the, I get paid to, to to tell positive things. I have a journalism degree, but I I, I uh, abdicated those responsibilities years ago. 
Um, and, and I'll say straight up, Kobe, like I want I want the Magic to be good for a lot of reasons, but I've covered a lot of shitty basketball games and teams in my career and so it is like i don't i i think it's okay to admit even as an objective journalist like you are um that it's it's a lot more fun when 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 the games mean a little bit more and i think that's probably um that's probably fair for everybody to admit Oh, 100%. I mean, I talk to other journalists, they tell me the same thing. Like, it's more fun. Maybe it's because I haven't been around long enough. Like, I don't feel like the weight of, like, several losing seasons yet. Right. Like, it's only, like, it's been, yeah, I've been on the beat two seasons, but it's only really been, like, a year. So, I haven't felt like the weight of, oh, another losing season. Like, you asked me, like, this season's been much better than last season. Much better. So, that's maybe what I'm thinking of, like, well... Naturally, I'm thinking like naturally, like this is going to like turn around. So sometimes <laughs> it's it trending upward. No, and I'll yeah. say this too because I, it, Josh, I've had this conversation numerous times with Josh Robbins over the years, and Josh is like the most professional journalist I've ever met before in my life, and so he he denies it, and and his answer always is, look, it's not my job to cover a winner; it's my job to to produce compelling content, and you can find that no matter where where you are. And so, if the team wins ten games, that's compelling in its own way. And then you start writing the draft preview pieces, and you start, you know, talking to the guys at overtime elite or whatever. Um, you know, there's 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 compelling content to be found no matter where you are. But I do think a couple seasons of non of not covering a playoff game and you'll be going okay like i'm i'm kind of bored here in late april like i'd like to i'd like to at least cover one one postseason game it's different it's it's different the lights are brighter and uh and you'll get there i think we'll get there and 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 hopefully you're able to experience that sooner than later um what has surprised you in your first year on the beat what is something that you didn't realize happened when you're covering an nba team Surprise? I don't know if there've been many surprises. Maybe because I was just like I had my boss. He was an NBA beat writer for a long time, so he's like along the way, like he's telling me different things. So he's prepared me so well. I don't know if there's been many surprises. Paulo was surprised by how did you hear him on the JJ podcast? He said the game was more. Oh, I forget exactly. How, he said it was. It was. Um, more informal than he expected. Like it was more, oh, yeah, yeah, kind of like backyard. Like they just, he said, when he was in college, it was like you're going to war every night. And in the NBA, it's just sort of like, all right, they roll the ball out and people just go out and play, which I thought was really, really interesting. Like there's so many layers to that um, that you could dive into. So there wasn't anything like, you know, like, um, Oh man, this is how this is how this reporter gets his stuff, or or anything like that. Like the what, like the agents oh, uh, yes, and their importance yes. was that one? Yeah, 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 yes. I'm glad you actually brought that up because I was I wasn't even thinking that area. Yeah, like the that I don't even want to call it that that environment, like the sourcing and being able to like agents and then the front office and then like that relationship and like how it all caught like coincides with one another like that was maybe not surprising but that it was more layered than you think than i thought it was coming yeah into like i knew it was there but the layers and then the underbelly of it all like yeah that's how this this guy gets his stuff because he's actually tied with this guy oh you're not gonna get anything from this guy because he's like locked in with this guy he's like huh it's how almost like negotiated that so what do you what do you do do you just have to build from scratch Built from, I mean, it's like in a way, it's almost like high school in a way. Just, yeah, just like the, the, the clicks in that sense. Um, 
Build from scratch and you try to just like break in where you can fit in, honestly, or break in where you can get in. And then you go from there. And the people who don't want to like rock with you like that, you kind of just take it on the chin and you move forward and find your own lane. Like for me, if I'm, if all right, I'm not going to put any person's name out there, but if I'm trying to report on this person and I know their agent and they're, that agent's connected to another reporter for whatever connected, I say just because they may lean on that reporter for whatever reason, may have a prior relationship. Find another way. Yeah. Find another find another way to get X, Y, and Z done. Find another way to get the job done without having to go through that person just because you know, like that's that's not on the table for you. So you just yeah. have to like maneuver around, maneuver through. It may make things a little more more difficult, but you're just trying to like circle around the pieces instead i also think in this business longevity matters and just being solid matters and so like at some point just people just see your name know you've been around for a while and you just start building and it does like at some point those relationships will change or people will soften or somebody might move on and um there's you're doing a great job already but i do think like just be patient with it because um so there's there's an element of you just kind of got to wait wait it out <laughs> right there is there, there's an element of being patient like trying to get the work done like while you can like as the best you can at while you can but also realizing like this is a long game so yeah in, within each season but also within like the span of a career so oh for sure the more sure. like just keep working at it the more you keep like it's almost like building a house just brick by brick to be whatever uh corny about it but brick by brick and then next maybe, play mentality you gotta have yeah. that next play mentality and honestly you learn that because the, like the season's so long and it happens it's so long but it happens so quickly so i that's something maybe not surprised me something i learned is you can't get caught up too much with like a single moment or a single thing that didn't go right because the next thing you know you're at the arena <laughs> yeah oh yeah there's always it, it, it's, it's the other cliche there's always another one uh it's the nba yeah. kobe great job uh so far man appreciate it I, i'm enjoying watching from afar uh your career grow but you're doing a great job also just getting the information out into us and and, and uh continued success we'll catch up soon okay appreciate you All right, there he is, Kobe Price. Jake Chapman here with you. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Back next week with another edition.